You are listening to the India in Focus podcast, jointly brought to you by the Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute at Harvard University and the Times of India. Hello and welcome to this episode of the India in Focus podcast, jointly brought to you by the Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute at Harvard University and Times of India. My name is Shubhangi Bhadada and I am the Mittal Institute Fellow. For this episode, we are joined by Dr. Nadra Shabazz Khan. She is an Associate Professor of Art History at the Lahore University of Management Sciences in Lahore in Pakistan and is a specialist in the history of art and architecture of the Punjab from the 16th to the early 20th century. Her research covers the visual and material culture of this region during the Mughal, Sikh and colonial periods. And her interest lies in investigating the levels of human agency behind these artifacts and architectural spaces, both as creators and consumers, to understand their political, religious, and socioeconomic ambitions at different historical intersections. Welcome, Nadra. Thank you, Shabangi. So today we will be discussing pre-partition architecture and buildings in Lahore with Nadra and how little people know or care about them and why it is important to recognize and acknowledge them. So Nadra, maybe you can start us off with giving us just a brief history of Lahore to situate us. Absolutely. So Shubhangi, Lahore is the second largest city of Pakistan and it is the capital of the Punjab province. And this is an ancient and famous city that has its mythical origins connected to the deities Ram and Sita's son, Love and Kos. And, you know, Lahore is named after love and Kusur, a neighboring smaller entity, is attributed to his twin brother, Kus. And from this particular name, it has been referred to by several other you know, names as well, which of course are again going back to its foundation by love. And some of these names are Lohavar, Lohavur or Loharu. And if we try to understand, you know, what they, they may sound similar, and yet they kind of are also a little different from each other as well. But, you know, this is explained beautifully by a 19th century historian who was actually a judge by profession and a historian by choice, Sayyid Muhammad Latif, who wrote his very important publication on architectural heritage of Lahore, which is titled Lahore, Its History, Architectural Remains and Antiquities, in 1892. And he explains that the termination of these words in our is actually a corruption of the Sanskrit word avarna, which means a fort. Lohavar or Lahavur thus means the fort of love. I would also like to bring to your notice the fact that in Urdu we have a slightly different pronunciation for love. Here, he is known as Lo. Therefore, a temple understood to have been founded by him that stands within the Lohor fort is known as Lo Kamandir. Its position is at a much lower level than the rest of the fort that speaks of its antiquity. And other than this, another reference that we find of, you know, the city's connection with love or Lo is Amir Khusro, who was a 13th century celebrated Indian poet, he writes in his Qiranu Saden and refers to this city as Lahanor. Here, Nor appears to be a shortened form of the Dakani word Nagar, a town or locality. Therefore, again, love or Lo's city or Nagar, mentioned as Lahanur. 
there is a lot more about my fascinating city that we could talk about. But of course, I do understand that we cannot go into more detail in the interest of time. That's very interesting because we would have never made that connection. Hmm. So how did Lahore sort of look like pre-partition though? What was its urban landscape like? Let me first recall Lahore's recent past before Punjab's annexation by the British in 1849. For the Mughals, this was their Darus Sultanate, which literally translates as the realm of sovereignty. And it was the Lahore Darbar or the seat of power for the Sikh Maharaja Ranjit Singh. How Lahore changed under the British rule and what it looked like by the 1940s was very different from its character and shape in earlier times. By this time, Lahore had everything a modern European city could offer in the early 20th century. And a comparison between a late 19th and early 20th century map effectively shows how, you know, local names of buildings, gardens and roads in Mughal and Sikh times were being replaced by British names. On the one hand were architectural structures carrying the official British stamp in their design and layouts that was springing up along the Mall Road, such as the General Post Office, or GPO as we call it, that was laid out as the letter V to celebrate Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee. Then there was the Charing Cross that had a marble baradari, which is still there, which used to carry the Queen's statue, which is now in the Lahore Museum, And then there were the Lawrence and Montgomery Halls in the Lawrence Gardens built in the neoclassical idiom. And the first of these, the Lawrence Hall was, uh, you know, a, a place or a space where local people were absolutely not allowed entry. And part of the government college building is in the neo-Gothic style. Other than these... Most of the roads in the city were named after important British personalities. So when one looks at a you know, late 19th, early 20th century map of Lahore, what you find cutting across the city running everywhere are roads named after you know, these British personalities, some of which are still known as Napier Road, Durand Road, McLeod Road, Lake Road, and so many others. Then there were large sections of the city named after some of these people. And one such locality was known as the, as the Donald Town, honoring the lieutenant governor of Punjab, Donald McLeod. A new colony model town, almost seven kilometers away from the old part of the city, was also where houses were designed as modern bungalows instead of the traditional inward-looking courtyard-type houses that Lahoris were familiar with. Along with these, there definitely were some private, you know, buildings commissioned by the local elite. And these were also among the city's landmarks. And luckily, some of these are still extant. For example, the Alsing Mansion and the Bawadinger Singh buildings along the Mall Road. Then we have the Gangaram Hospital. We also have the Gulab Devi Hospital, a hospital commissioned by Lala Lajpatrai in his uh, mother's name. So Lahore was a, was a happening place and Lahoris did celebrate their city. They knew very well, they were very aware of, of their city's importance and the luxuries that it could offer them. 
Pran Neville, in his memoirs of Lahore, uh, Lahore, a sentimental journey is what he calls them, quotes an old maxim that expresses the reluctance of Lahoris of leaving their city even to find work elsewhere. And it goes like this, Khaye kanak chahe bhogi hove, rahiye Lahore paave chuggi hove. And I'll translate the, the second part, which means, Rahiye Lahore paave chuggi hove, one must dwell in Lahore even if it's just a hut. And the author, Pran Neville, also recalls how he refused a position as a lecturer at the Hushapur College after completing his master's because he didn't want to leave Lahore. And then during partition, he had to. That was very interesting. So you mentioned the fact that how some areas were exclusive and the locals were not allowed or were restricted in their movement. Was this something that was seen in different parts of the city or was this just only in the British areas? How is the movement in the city during this pre-partition time? So now we're kind of jumping forward, coming to, let's say, again, as you said, pre-partition times from the, you know, Sikh period into the colonial period. Again, you know, what starts emerging is the fact that areas that are named after, that kind of are self-explanatory, tell us that, you know, people had started to move in clusters or were huddling together, you know, different religious groups were kind of probably trying or were, you know, made to feel safer. And then again, you know, this would be a very interesting area to carry out more research, you know, was this deliberate or were people kind of forced or made to understand that they had to live in these different clusters away from the other religious groups. For example, again, cartography is something that yields a lot of information in this regard, is what you find is, you know, Krishnanagar, uh, Ramgali or Ramnagar, and as opposed to this, we have Momanpura or Islam Gali. And when we look at a lot of literature that was produced after partition, this nostalgia about Lahore, people who were moving away or were staying back in Lahore and, you know, talking about these good old days through that literature. And of course, you know, other historical accounts also help us kind of paint this picture of when the riots started taking place. It was very difficult or dangerous for, let's say, you know, a Muslim to pass through areas that were densely populated with, with Hindus. And the same went for the Hindu population of Lahore to come across or to pass by areas that were, again, seen as typical Muslim areas. So how these religious identities were pitted against each other and what happened to the city and how the city was divided into different zones and these were barred for each other is again something that emerges uh, when one reads all of these accounts of the mostly penned after partition. So you mentioned these small sort of neighborhoods or colonies that became little clusters of Hindus or Muslim communities. But what would you say was the sense in terms of public spaces in Lahore? So were there any which were porous where there was an intermingling that was happening in the pre-partition time as we sort of hear of communities living together and sort of moving together? Absolutely. So again, sometimes it becomes really difficult to imagine these pre-partition days because as we start moving closer to 1947, you know, everything starts appearing, areas cordoned off, these zones divided in, into different 
um, uh, kind of unsafe and safe areas. These malleable boundaries were hardened as partition was approaching. But if we take a, a few steps back in time, what does appear is this easy intermingling, you know, safe neighborhoods, people meeting and greeting each other. The, we have public parks and gardens. You know, there were cinemas. I haven't really come across anything and maybe I need to look into it a little more carefully. You know, how are people kind of using these public spaces in terms of were they okay in sitting next to each other or were there again areas within a cinema house, let's say, or, or what does come across, you know, again, as something which was more easygoing. And one account that I've come across is Sheikh Abdul Shakur's essay, which is titled, again, talking about exactly what we're discussing right now is it's, a, it's an Urdu and it says, Kuch Ravadari Ki Baate, which would, you know, loosely translate as some chit chats of egalitarianism. And this was published in Nukush and its Lahore number in 1962, where uh, the author calls Anarkali Bazaar the heart of Lahore. And this was actually the main shopping center where people from out of Lahore used to come and shop because, you know, the latest fashion would be available there. And one, you know, wanted to be seen in Anarkali Bazaar. So what he mentions is, is very interesting. He talks about two important shops here. One was known as the Karnal shop. And the other one was the Sardar Jagat Singh Kawanra's shop. Now, the first one was owned by a Muslim. But what the author you know, tells us is that this was mostly patronized by a large number of Hindus and Sikhs. And then, you know, these authors also talk about several doctors, you know, who were probably, you know, either Muslims or, or Hindus or Sikhs who were selflessly serving all communities, all religious groups, and had a you know long sort of list of patients that were cured by them. So things were pretty good if we take a few steps away from the actual, you know, 10 years, you know, that, that last decade before partition is where things became painful and kind of making each community the other for the other. But this is what I've kind of come across through studying these buildings is that, you know, if we take a few steps further back, is that particular vantage point gives us broader view of what the different communities were doing, you know, how things were so beautiful in this city. And it kind of enhances our understanding of, of this notion of living together in harmony. Absolutely. So let's focus on maybe a few buildings that you sort of think encapsulate this period for Lahore and sort of give us the sense of what was pre-partition Lahore. If you think of any such buildings that come to your mind when you think of this period in Lahore and what it represented for all of South Asia really, with Lahore being such a central city at that point. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question, Shubhangi. You know, one building that comes to mind is the Bradley Hall. This was kind of built to honor Charles Bradley, who was a free thinker, who was a political activist. And this is an, a, a beautiful, imposing, triple-storied red brick building. And this was actually designed as a multi-purpose space where, you know, both political and cultural events were held. Plays were held here, mushairas or poetry recitals, dance performances. 
as well as, you know, political meetings and rallies. So this space was catering to all of this, but bringing people together, giving them a place and a space where they could express themselves, you know, artistically or vent out their feelings, anti-colonial sentiments. So Bradley Hall was one of the most important buildings, as far as I'm concerned, in Lahore that now stands neglected. People generally don't know about it. I didn't know about it. You know, I knew very little about it. I'd heard about it, but I did not know what a significant role this building was playing in these pre-partition days. You know, on the one hand, this is a place where people are coming for a good time. And on the other hand, this was a place or a building that was also being used as the National College where Bhagat Singh used to study. And again, this was again a base that was used to hold rallies and where these you know, slogans must have been chanted of inkalabs in Dabad or the revolutionaries must have gathered there, irrespective of their religious uh, affinities, where they were together in this movement for independence, where they wanted their land to be freed of, of the colonial rule. And that is what warms my heart. Because that is the point I want to celebrate more, because that is how I frame it for my students. I want them to understand that, you know, partition is something that created two countries. Other than the Bradley Hall, Shibangi, there is another very important building that, you know, I had great difficulty in identifying. So while I was studying the Bradley Hall and Bhagat Singh, another building kind of sprang up in these documents that I was looking at. And this was the Lajpat Rai Bhavan. And of course, I did not know anything about Lajpat Rai Bhavan. I'd never heard about it. And I did not, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to admit this, but I did not even know about Lala Lajpatrai. I had no clue that this extremely important freedom fighter used to live in Lahore. He died because he was heading a rally against the Simon Commission and he was baton charged. He was a heart patient. He could not survive this assault and died. And how Bhagat Singh and whatever he did for independence Part of it was actually avenging Lala Lajpat Rai's death and his killing. So this is what I find fascinating about buildings. You know, so far, my research career has been focusing on buildings. Buildings that when I start off, I literally did not know anything about. And then finally, they led me into understanding not only people, but their cultures and, and so many other things. And, you know, they've bridged huge gaps for me. So Lala Lajpat Rai Bhavan was something that was uh, built in honor of Lala Lajpat Rai. But then again, this building was extremely important during the independence movement, because this was also a space where members of Congress used to reside. And one important text that actually gave me a lot of information was Manorma Divan's memoirs. And the title of this, uh, her memoirs is Inqilab Zindabad. And there she talks about the Lala Lajpat Rai Bhavan and, you know, how she spent her, her childhood days there and how her father, you know, Lala Chabil Das was the principal of the National College that was housed in the Bradley Hall where Bhagat Singh was a student. And, you know, where Bhagat Singh again stayed in hiding for a, quite a long time. 
So Lajpat Rai Bhavan is now used as the office of a daily newspaper. But finding is, was, you know, it was right in front of me. As you enter, there are plaques in marble, foundation stone. One is the foundation stone that was laid at the time, of course, when it was commenced. And the other one commemorates is its opening by Mahatma Gandhi. But of course, you know, that would have only been visible had I entered the building. I used to pass by it, not knowing that this was the bhavan that I was so frantically looking for. And then a very kind person in the Evacuate Trust property board led me to it. And I'm eternally grateful to him for this. But this is the magic of buildings. You start reading buildings and then they open up to you. They, they start narrating their stories to you. But of course, the condition is that you approach them and you ask them to let them and, you know, allow them to do that. So it sounds like, Nadra, that in some ways, these buildings are almost lost that we've sort of forgotten about them in our collective memories. And in your research, how many such buildings would you say have been lost? And can we recall them now? Is it worth remembering and revisiting them now, 73 years after the fact? Shubhangi, I've just started looking at these pre-partition buildings. You know, I started my research career with Maharaja Ranjit Singh's funerary monument, his Samadhi. Again, as I said earlier, I knew nothing about the building. I could not find any literature about the building in Lahore. You know, I was fortunate that I could come to India several times and I made friends and, you know, every person that I met went out of their ways to help me understand the building, help me collect information in whatever was within their capacity and sometimes beyond that. But, you know, one building brought me closer to so many people. And losing these buildings means that we lose on connections that can forge priceless you know, references and contacts and friendships that you would never be able to do with if, if these buildings were erased and their memories were lost because we are not taking care of them. And we've already lost a lot because of this neglect. And losing a building, to me, absolutely means that we've lost a major chapter of history. And if we're studying history and we have a chapter or two, or and of course, we've lost more than one or two buildings, we've lost countless buildings. If we keep losing these chapters of history, how are we going back? And you know, how will we be able to understand history without a break? We have to have a continuity. Losing such monuments is something that we cannot afford. We need to start picking up pieces before it is too late. You know, the partition survivors archives were started a bit too late in the day. A lot of people have, you know, we've lost a lot of voices, but I'm happy and everyone, of course, who's involved in this and who's been following this is happy that it did get started. And they have been, whoever has been involved in this in Pakistan, in India, out of these two countries, you know, have collected priceless archives and priceless data that is going to help us understand what happened, how it happened, and what it meant to individuals. And the same goes for these buildings. If we don't start right now and today, tomorrow probably is going to be too late. That is very true. And I think that is something that we on both sides of the border have to realize soon before we start losing memories that we have of our independence and all that went before it and all these people from all sides who came together to 
to help us get the independence. Exactly. Because this was a, a joint activity, a joint movement. Everyone was in it. And we have to celebrate that because independence would not have been possible if just one community was fighting for it. It would have taken probably another 50 years for that community to, you know, this was a joint effort. Everyone was in it, irrespective of their caste, their creed, their age, you know, whether they were men or women or children, you know, anyone who cares to look into these archives or the literature that was produced or the historical documents, they tell us, you know, jails were stuffed with young children, men, women, they were tortured, they were killed. Why they wanted independence, not only for themselves, for the entire country. And we did get that. But it would be unfair to not look back and express our gratitude to these people. And part of their lives are connected to a lot of buildings that we are neglecting. Because these buildings are kind of mnemonic devices of these absent people. They're still standing, recalling their names. We have to take a step forward, you know, walk towards them and try to preserve them. And then, of course, study them and teach our younger generation about that. Absolutely. I think these buildings are in some ways our last living monuments for all these sacrifices that were made. So Nadra, before we wrap up, it would be great if you sort of talked about this connection between buildings and memories that you've, you've been building and how they sort of feed into each other. Thank you, Shubhangi. That's a, that's a great question. And it kind of, you know, highlights what we, we're trying to bring into focus by looking at these buildings. You know, what I would like to say as, as a kind of a final note is that, you know, we're forgetting maybe one of the solutions to resolve these agonizing memories. Conserving and preserving these buildings could actually help us heal our, some of our wounds. Because in spite of the ephemerality of, you know, spaces and places and their occupants, the connection between people and places does not perish. And when the separation between the two takes place, it is the realm of memory that kind of grants longevity and in some cases perpetuity to, to this association. And, you know, I would like to kind of bring in John Ruskin, the 19th century art critic who wrote his seven lamps of architecture and you know Ruskin dedicated an entire chapter calling it the lamp of memory because he again felt this deep connection between place and memory and I would quote Ruskin when and, and you know he said that architecture is to be regarded by us with the most serious thought we may live without her and worship without her, but we cannot remember without her, unquote. So this is something that I would like my audience to think about as food for thought, as they say. Thank you so much, Nadra. This was absolutely fascinating and deeply enlightening. So thank you for sharing your time with us and for this great discussion. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and check out past episodes by visiting our show page at mithalsouthasiainstitute.harvard.edu slash India in Focus podcast. Until next time.